Hi, Craig Lectures. Welcome back to another episode. I'm joined here with my co-host, Rufan. What's going on, man? How are you? Hey, man. Welcome, everybody. First episode of 2022. That's right. That's right. This first one of 2022. Uh, I can't believe it. It's crazy. Um, it's already been a few months of this podcast, and we're learning so much and enjoying it so much. So once again, just want to thank everybody for the support and just make sure you check us out on com and on social media at Crickelectuals. Uh, on the agenda today, we have a couple of things, starting with the Islamabad Stadium. There's a big news uh, going around where Ramiz Raja met with the Prime Minister of Pakistan, Imran Khan, and they had a conversation about this new stadium being built. We're going to also talk about the problem of empty stadiums. And lastly, the news of the hour is uh, Muhammad Hafiz, the professor. He's retired, so we'll share our thoughts on that. So starting with the Islamabad Stadium news, the headline is basically that the PCB had put in two applications for locations where they wanted to you know, develop cricket property like the stadiums before 2025 when the Champions Trophy is supposed to be happening. One of these applications was approved and accepted, and the PM gave the green light to go ahead. And that application was for a stadium to be built in the capital city of Islamabad. Now, I don't know, we don't know the exact location of where the stadium is being built, but it was hailed as great news. And there was a lot of celebratory sentiment around this possibility of a stadium, of an international modern cricket stadium being built inside the capital. So um, let's uh, hear, Rafan, what your thoughts are on this. Pros, cons, good or bad, what do you think? I mean, there's a lot of aspects to it. So starting with the pros, I often wondered why didn't we have a stadium in the capital of Pakistan? And uh, I think it's good news. And then the dynamics, the aesthetics, it all makes sense, right? It's a spacious, scenic area. And that's where we want the crowd from other countries to come and see the real side of Pakistan and not the stereotypical crowded, congested areas that you see on the news. And I often uh, promote uh, having stadiums and sporting facilities in outskirts of Pakistan because that's where the tradition is, the cultures are. And this is not really outskirts, but it is ideal for what the sport represents. It offers unity and Islamabad at its core is built on that basis. This is a city that Pakistan created, doesn't have any English ties, and it was developed by the architects from all over the world. So why not promote area Pakistan that represents all cultures, diversity, both in population and architecture, uh, whether it's nature or man-made? And I think that's where you want your tourism to take place. And it's just a matter of how we're going to do it. So I think those are going to be the cons. Where are we going to build this? Do we have the funding? Where is that funding coming from? And is it truly going to be state-of-the-art stadium as they promoted by Prime Minister Imran Khan? And, you know, people are going to complain about a new stadium built in a beautiful city. So it has to align with the contemporary infrastructure of Islamabad. And it has to be in the outskirts of Islamabad where it's easily accessible and it's not going through your busy roads and main highways of Islamabad. So it's going to be a matter of uh, how we do it, when we do it, and how well we do it. 
Those are all great points, man. I hadn't thought about many of those points, actually. So thank you for bringing them up. I generally have a skeptical kind of <laughs> approach to things and uh, view of things. So, you know, I, I do like the idea of us having a new stadium, first of all, you know, point blank period. Yes, let's add a new stadium. Let's build a new one. All of our major venues are old, almost raggedy in some spots. People have clearly noticed that. And there has been talk for a long time about developing and improving our um, stadiums and the experience of people who attend, who go to those those stadiums. So that's been an issue. And also capacity has been an issue for a lot of the older stadiums. We, we don't have a lot of capacity. I think other countries have gone up to like 70,000 uh, people in a stadium. And we're nowhere near that in our some of our biggest grounds. Um, you know, National Stadium and Gaddafi don't even come close to that. So I understand the rationale and I agree 100% that we should get a new stadium for our games that are coming up, the bigger games, especially the international level games where, like you're saying, you're representing the country. The stadium really does become a symbol of a country. It becomes an icon for that country, both from artistic and design aesthetic perspective, but also from, you know, the perspective of how the the country values sport. And um, it does something to the identity of people in the country. You feel certain level of pride associated with an icon like that. So hopefully whatever is built is worthy of that, uh, that those sentiments. And uh, I'm sure it will be actually. My concerns really are about the last few things that you mentioned. Where specifically exactly, where's this land? Which land is this? And my concern was like, I don't know how large Islamabad really is compared to like Karachi. I I always saw Islamabad as a smaller city, uh, a newer city, but a smaller city. It's clearly a, a better designed city. It never was, when we were growing up anyway, back in the 90s, it never was a crowded city. So my concerns are, what's the stadium going to bring to Islamabad? It's already a place where security is always very high, obviously, and uh, but it's not very crowded, or at least wasn't when we were kids. And is the stadium going to change that? Is it going to become a thing where, like, in Lahore, a team is visiting and then half the city is shut down because all the roads leading up to the stadium are blocked off or whatever. That kind of thing is going to really harm the quality of life of people who live in Islamabad. So a lot of, a lot of that really does depend on those logistics and technicalities of construction of this magnitude. So I'll be wondering how transparent they will be about this and obviously when they're going to start building everyone's going to see you can't hide a structure that big so we'll know very quickly where they're building it and and what's going to happen Um, i just hope it's well thought out so that we don't get a lot of criticism like that you know there's all islamabad is also like you were mentioning the word nature you know you think of islamabad you think of a lot of greenery and stuff and when you think of a stadium it's not necessarily complementary to nature so i'm wondering how they're going to kind of mesh the two and how they're going to try to preserve the natural beauty of islamabad and also create a huge stadium at what cost is is my concern and i wonder how people of islamabad feel about it absent from this conversation is 
what do the people of Islamabad want? People who live there, who work there, to some extent, they should have a say in wherever the stadium is being built and whether or not they, they're for it. Now, the good things are, you've already mentioned all the best ones. I feel like I wasn't even thinking about those. The basic ones I was thinking about, well, bigger stadium, more games, more places to play cricket, more exposure to cricket at an international level. There's a lot of tourists in Islamabad. There's a lot of people from other countries in Islamabad. So cricket really gets the exposure. And cricket brings with it this whole vibe of entertainment, joy, pride, patriotism, and and all kinds of stuff that raise the spirit of the people and brings all kinds of enjoyment to everyone. So I think that it, it'll bring that to Islamabad if the stadium is there and a lot of games are happening there. Um, and I think there's nothing to complain about there. It'll It'll bring more business, more jobs. It'll bring obviously more teams, and hopefully it'll lead to even better newer infrastructure that has to be built around the stadium, like roads and streets and things and transportation. Uh, so it'll hopefully also lift the city up in a positive way. So that is my hope. I just hope, like you're saying, that it's all handled the right way. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I mean, we can talk about it all day if it's a good or bad decision, but I think you make a good point. We need to get the natives of Islamabad to get their opinions and see what they think of it. I really think it's going to come down to, again, where exactly it's being built. Uh, it could be done right. Islamabad is a large city. The civilized area of it, wise, square footage-wise, is not as vast as Lahore or Karachi, mm-hmm. but outside the hilly area, I think they can do things. you got all these uh, architects. They'll come up with a good plan. I think the roads, highways have to lead from outskirts of the stadium, yeah. if they do it right. And my fear is, like everything else, they think they're going to get this done by 2025. Yeah. That's not a long time. That's no. a very short time for a stadium because a stadium is not only going to bring cricket, it's going to bring a whole community. And I really hope it's not next to Fessel Mosque or something like that. Because oh, yeah, yeah. That's not going to work out. But if they do come up with the right plan, and uh, good architectural blueprints, I think they can raise another community beside Islamabad. They can call it Islamabad. It could be in the villages. Outskirts. And, yeah, outskirts of it. So if they do it right, man, it, it does have a lot of potential. Again, it's the capital of Pakistan. I wouldn't recommend building any sporting facility in a well-civilized area, but Islamabad, for the points that I just made, is completely different. I think it's one of the probably like top three most beautiful capitals in the world. Yeah, uh, I think we can Google sure. that. It's definitely going to come in top five. And if they do it right and create jobs and don't rush into it, I have a feeling where they're not going to be done near 2025 and they would have to just do with what they have. Uh, <laughs> just dismiss other ideas. And that happens quite yeah. often in Pakistan. And we're going to watch games with like half-built stadium. <laughs> Half the people are sitting... Uh, without a roof and the other half. (laughs) Hopefully not. Hopefully um, it gets done quickly, like you're saying, and efficiently, but also really high quality. I think that's what they're going for. That brings us to our second item on the agenda today. We wanted to talk about this problem of empty stadiums that we were seeing during the West Indies series, even though only half the series took place, the T20 leg of it. um, We didn't see a lot of people 
at those games when people expected more participation, more of the audience to show up and watch the games live. And um, there was, for a while, there was a debate going on online about this, uh, but we didn't really get a chance to talk about it. But since now we're talking stadiums, what do we think about this problem of empty stadiums and uh, how do we fill up these stadiums? What's causing this in your opinion? And, you know, what are some solutions you have in your mind? It's a little confusing what really happened. Some people are saying the tickets were too expensive. Others are saying it was on a work day. Some are saying the security was too tight and they turned people off. Some are saying the traffic issues. So there's uh, multiple factors to be worked on. But I think every single problem that I read about, it's fixable. They don't seem like difficult concerns, to be honest. And I think what happened was they expected a big crowd because cricket came back to Pakistan. It doesn't happen as often. They had the tight security and the tickets were expensive and they just assumed a lot of people were going to come. I've heard stories where they had a deadline of final crowd to arrive 15 minutes before the match begins. And there were lines out there 15 minutes before and the gates weren't even open. It's definitely bad preparation. They did not do a trial run. Karachi is a populated city, you know, so things went wrong. And these uh, workers and security, they put in some assiduous labor into this. And I'm sure they didn't want this to fail. And uh, it just didn't work out. I, I just can't pinpoint what the exact reason is, but it's just uh, issues that they didn't practice beforehand. Yeah, we read, we also published a blog post on this very topic and we listed a bunch of the causes that we saw as potential reasons for why the stadiums didn't have a lot of people in them. And we also offered some solutions for uh, for, for our listeners who want to get a detailed kind of analysis and and response to this question, you should definitely check out our blog post. Um, It's titled How to Bring Pakistani Cricket Fans Back to Fill Up the Stadium. So check us out on cricketlectuals.com under the blog uh, and you'll find it there. I feel there are some problems that are easy to solve and there's at least one or two that are not as easy to solve. And the easy ones are definitely, you know, open up more gates to the stadium so that it's not overcrowded in one location. And then, you know, obviously you should have more gates open. Duh. So we should fix that. That's an easy fix. Um, timings can be fixed probably more easily. Like if you know the workday is ending around five or six o'clock on average in Karachi, you probably want to, you know, schedule the game a little bit later than that. Um, it's more complicated, of course, because, you know, you have to think about the players, the teams and their schedules as well. And sometimes it's not easy, but an hour up or down, it's not that hard to make an adjustment about the tickets. Like you mentioned, that sounds like for a lot of people, it was hard to know where to buy the tickets from. And I was just surprised that PCB still didn't really sell tickets online, like easy to find website, like even the PCB website. So apparently there were tickets online, but people didn't know how to get to the place online where to buy the tickets. So people thought they had to go to like the national bank or whatever to get in line and buy tickets the old way. And, you know, it wasn't advertised. So there was a marketing thing. So a marketing gap. So that's an easy fix, you know, get, get the marketing, right. Get, get an early start, advertise, put posters up, 
you know, let people see that games are happening, they're coming. And then another small thing, what I've heard about is that at the stadiums, there's not a lot of entertainment anymore. You're not allowed to bring a lot of stuff into the stadium due to security concerns. For example, like people apparently, you know, there's a general trend in the public about carrying battery packs and stuff to recharge their phones, things like that. You can't bring a battery pack into the stadium. Um, and some of these things, by the way, was were brought up by a video blogger, very well known. Uh, he goes by Gunji Swag. <laughs> I don't know if people, I'm sure people know them. Um, but he's mentioned a bunch of these. So I, I got some of the points um, I'm basically summarizing from his arguments because I agreed with them. Uh, so he was mentioning that, you know, there's like not a lot of food options when you go there uh, in, in the stadiums, you know, and it also takes a really long time to get to the actual stadium because, again, for the security, they have certain routes that you could take and you're not allowed to go obviously drive straight to the stadium yourself because of the security concerns. So you got to like park a couple of miles away and they have special transportation after you park that brings you to the stadium and then you have to stand in line again. So you have to, you know, go park, stand in line to get on buses or whatever. Then that takes you to another spot. You switch buses or whatever. And then that takes you to the stadium. And now there's a line at the stadium. You need like, you know, an hour, hour and a half just to get into the stadium at least. So, you know, you're talking about at the end of a workday, for example, people need to just be able to drive 30, 40 minutes to the stadium, park right at the stadium, walk in and watch the game. That's what needs to happen. And that's what happens everywhere else in the world. You know, but unfortunately, the security situation barks and demands that all kinds of barricades are put in place. And that messes up your experience who wants to go and deal with that i certainly don't with my three kids my wife i don't want to take my family and and have to deal with all of that for two hours i'm you know get them you know and then you get there and then the first two overs are already bold and you're late and the whole thing the whole experience is colored um it's and it's off colors and it's off-putting and you go there you don't have a lot of options you can't buy many different kinds of foods, all of that, when you put it together, you realize that it's actually not a very fun experience as a Pakistani fan to have to deal with. And not only is it fun, it's actually actively deterring probably people from even attempting. Who wants to deal with all these hurdles and jump through all these hoops to go watch a 2020 game? Um, you know, so to me, a lot of this stuff is fixable. But the stuff that's not fixable is like the security situation. Like something has to happen so that, you know, people don't have to go through all of this to show that they're safe. And then there's this COVID card, vaccination card showing thing too. Like why is that not possible to do online? You know, why can't we electronically submit our COVID test before we even get to the stadium? We should know whether or not I'm vaccinated before I get there. So when I get there, all you got to do is like, look at my ID and let me in. You know what I mean? Like, but, you know, people are having to pull out their cards, you know, all kinds of stuff. So there's a lot of barriers right now. They are already putting, there's already a department being put in place whose job is going to be to look at and take care of the experience of the people who come. And I just hope that that group quickly identifies all of the barriers and just like 
check them off and deal with them one at a time quickly so we get to the actual games and people can go and see them. The other problem is these uh, series that we uh, secure are too damn last minute. That's another problem. And uh, we have the tightest security and then we finalized these series last minute, a week before. So I think the solution is uh, the Islamabad Stadium, right? Go to Margra <laughs> Hills and just uh, walk yourself down to the stadium. Check out the city. It's just everything is easier, man. It's open and spacious. That sounds so good already. <laughs> All jokes aside, but I know it is tough with kids. I really hope they come up with a better plan and they have more time to plan these. One question I have, what do you think we, we generate from the actual ticket sales. I know overall, in the long run, we haven't had cricket in Pakistan for 10 plus years. So we lost a lot of revenues. But to bring cricket back and promote something new, was that really necessary to make these tickets so expensive? I think they should focus on the sponsors and stalls and advertisement and the streaming rights more and try to generate more money via those resources. Still have a process. You still have to get your... COVID clearance, and you still have to acquire these tickets from somewhere. But I don't know if we should have a pricey tag associated with that. I don't know. See, I don't agree with that criticism of, you know, overpriced tickets. Because so here's the numbers. I, you know, I, I looked them up when we were doing the blog. But basically, it sounds like always is the case at any venue for any sporting event. There's a range of tickets depending on where you're planning to sit right that's standard practice so it sounds like the range for these games was from 250 rupees to 2000 rupees so all right well 2000 might be too steep uh, understandably right uh, an ordinary person um, with a salary of 30000 rupees a month or 20000 rupees a month might not obviously able to just shell out 2 grand but 250 to 500 Rupees, that's, you know, that's actually pretty reasonable to me. I feel like people spend more money on a on an outing when they go to eat uh, than 500 rupees. So there are options. Um, maybe yeah. they might not be nice seats, but there's definitely options. So I don't know if the pricing is the issue. But with my experience with expensive and inexpensive tickets, even outside Pakistan, there's a lot of bells and whistles that come with that too. So so your access inside the stadium is much easier with a 2,000 rupee ticket than it is with <laughs> yeah. 250. So you may not be offered the buses and transportation with that type of money. So it really comes down to that. But I agree, 250 is not, not bad at all. That might not be the issue. It's just the logistics and security and the weight and lack of entertainment within the stadium. That seems to be the problem. So Hopefully, going forward, we fix these. And, uh, you know, cricket is new back home. So there's a couple of departments where we need to put in place and take care of that. And hopefully 2022, this year, we see a lot more cricket. And doesn't happen during Australia-Pakistan series. We better see some crowd there. Yeah, maybe uh, we could put somebody in charge who really feels, you know, excited you. about this work. Me, I was thinking about... <laughs> I was thinking about Muhammad Hafiz, man. He just retired, so that's the last wow, thing we wanted to discuss. What a, what a segue! You're, you're good. <laughs> I really pushed. I really. Pushed. I was thinking in my head. I'm like, how am I gonna do this? Tie this thing together. But there we go. So he held a press conference. It actually was through the PCB, and the PCB representatives were there. 
and under their watchful eyes, he made his farewell speech and took a bunch of questions and they asked him about his highs and his lows. And he talked about obviously playing for Pakistan and there were many highs and whatnot. Uh, some things that were interesting. One is this job thing. He, he doesn't plan on doing anything for a while. And, um, People asked him about coaching and stuff, and he's like, I don't know. I, I don't like to do things without being properly trained for them. So maybe if I'm trained for those types of roles, maybe I'll consider. Um, and then he also talked about how his lowest point, and this has stirred up some hype. Um, and he, he said the lowest point was when he voiced his concern to then PCB chairman Sheryar Khan that, he doesn't want to play with people who have uh, been convicted of match fixing and referring obviously to, to Muhammad Amir, Salman Bud, Muhammad Asif, that trio. And Sharyar Khan told him, well, they're going to play, but if you have a problem with that, you can retire. <laughs> so people have been wow. asking if he's to retire for a long time. <laughs> He finally gave in. But yeah, so that's the, he shared that. And uh, what are your thoughts? I think it was a pretty good press conference. I think he could have done it without mentioning that part and maybe write a book later. <laughs> and, <laughs> and But that's not the type of personality he is. He has been very loyal. Uh, he's very proud to be Pakistani and to wear our flag. Uh, I mean, amazing career has his ups and downs. You know, he started, what, 20, almost 20 years ago and wasn't selected right away, then I was one of the biggest critics he had because he, uh, he wasn't as consistent. He was slowing down as he was aging, but he proved everything wrong. As he aged, he retired from test cricket, which is not normal for a, for a player who's uh, you know gaining more experience and getting smarter. But this guy turned it around and against all odds, become a very well-known, versatile batsman in T20 cricket which was great to see. He was an opener, and then he played for the middle order, a great off-break bowler, you know, so he had it all. And then our youngster often looked at him for sound advice, hence the name Professor. And he had a great career, and we congratulate him on his retirement and hope we see something good from him, maybe a professor in PCB Academy. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, he's a very intelligent person. And, you know, I was watching the story and keeping an eye on the story as it was developing and just seeing the reaction of everybody. And the majority of people, basically, the way they responded, they fall into three groups. There's a group that is kind of like diehard fans of Hafiz, apparently. They're like, why is he leaving? It's crazy. Uh, come back. There's that group. Then there's a group that's kind of like the majority, like, hey, all right, well done. You know, you had a good run. It's okay. This is the right time. You're making the right call. Go for it. See you later. Thank you for your service. And then there's this last group, which is kind of almost like good riddance. The, this group of people is saying that Hafiz was never really uh, uber talented. He was just, he was an okay player. You went on long enough, <laughs> some people think. So I don't personally feel that way. I fall in the middle pack where, yeah, he had a good run. He was a good player. I had a lot of respect for him because he was very well-spoken. He carried himself really well, uh, appeared honest. Everybody else seems to enjoy his company on the field. And no one said anything negative ever about him off the field. To me, that's a good team man. And um, I was a little bit surprised about how many people felt that 
an ordinary player who kind of went on too long and it's the right call for him. But I felt like what made him extraordinary was this combination that you spoke of. So he was clearly working on his batting a lot more, but he snuck in the bowling and, you know, he really turned out to be a pretty successful bowler for Pakistan in T20s. Nightmare for lefties. He always got him out. He was, he was pretty good. He had some ups and downs with his action, but he worked hard at it. He always uh, made a remarkable comeback with batting and bowling, and that's what I admire the most about him. Like I said, uh, against all odds, I was a big critic. I was one of those people who thought he's uh, stuck around too long, but then he started performing, and then that's what we want from a guy who is aging and people want him to retire. But if you're performing, putting in the runs, taking the wickets, and he was an amazing fielder as well. So Yeah, a, really good fielder. A true all-rounder. Yeah, absolutely. As far as intelligence, cricket sense, and all that stuff is concerned, he's definitely a brain that we want to keep around. And hopefully after he's done resting and spending time with his family, he decides to become and, and remain a part of Pakistan cricket in one way or one form or, or other. So... Good luck to Hafiz. Congratulations. And on that note, friends, we'll go ahead and wrap up our episode for this week. Thank you for tuning in and we'll see you next time. This is Jay and Rafan signing out. Peace. <laughs>